This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary and your host for the Lead On podcast, where each week we talk about various issues related to ministry leadership today, particularly how we can be better ministry leaders, focusing on issues of character development, skill development, and simply practical insights about how to get the job done. This is Thanksgiving week, and uh, that's always been my favorite holiday. I've always liked Thanksgiving for several reasons. First of all, I grew up in West Texas, and so by Thanksgiving, uh, the brutally hot summer had ended and nicer weather had come, and I just simply enjoyed the season of the year. And then as I got a little uh, older, I really started enjoying Thanksgiving more because it was the least commercialized holiday. Uh, it's really a time for reflection, for thinking about what God has done in our lives and being thankful for His blessings. That got me thinking this week about... Uh, how important it is to maintain an attitude of humility toward God and a recognition of His blessings and power in our lives. So I want to talk this week about the character quality of humility and more specifically about uh, what humility is and how to develop it in the context of being a ministry leader. Well, I'll start with this story. A few years ago I wrote my book, The Character of Leadership. And in that uh, book, I included a chapter on developing humility. So when the books came, I signed some copies and sent them to my children as gifts and also as expressions of appreciation to them for their influence and shaping in my life. Well, my oldest son got the book, and he called me. Now, my oldest son and I have a really good relationship and uh, really a lot of humor between us and a lot of sarcasm, so keep that in mind as I tell you this story. So my oldest son calls me, and I pick up the phone, hello, and his first word is, seriously? And I replied, seriously what? He goes, seriously, Dad? Seriously? You, you, Jeff Orge, wrote a book with a chapter in it on how to be humble, and somebody actually published that? Seriously, Dad? Well... My son knows me. I'm known for a lot of things, but uh, humility is not usually one of them. So he gave me much grief for writing a chapter on humility. I actually told him that day, well, it was more of a, a chapter about what I see other people doing than it was a testimonial. But he was unrelenting in his sarcastic uh, comments toward me, and those continued, quite frankly, for several months. Every time the subject of the book came up or he thought about it, he would give me more grief about my writing on how to be humble. So with the disclaimer that I do not consider myself a model of humility, but a person who's trying to learn it along the way, and with the further disclaimer that I'm teaching you some things today that I've learned both from studying Scripture and from watching other people that I really do admire because of their humility, let me see if I can teach you a few things about developing the character quality of humility. This quality is essential because in my leadership model that I've taught in a previous podcast, I say that the primary motive of Christian leadership is love, and the primary method of Christian leadership is service, but the primary motive of Christian leadership is humility. And we draw that from Jesus and his example, which is described for us in Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to, to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And then dropping down to verse 8, we see that attitude. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus models the true meaning of humility. That is using your position and privileges to benefit others and sacrificing to meet the needs of others. This is what Jesus did that's described in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus had a unique position and a unique privilege in the universe. He's the Son of God, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And yet, he did not use his position and privileges to benefit himself. Instead, he used his position and privilege to benefit others by becoming like a man and coming to die on a cross and experiencing uh, death on our behalf. That's Jesus, the unique Son of Man, Son of God, who had the capacity that only he had to die in our place for our sins, and he did that on our behalf. And so Jesus models true humility by using position and privilege to benefit others. Jesus also models sacrificing to meet the needs of others. He gave up his life. He gave up his life for your benefit and for mine. <clears throat> and so we see in Jesus uh, a model of true humility, using position and privilege to benefit others and sacrificing to meet the needs of others. Now hold on to those two thoughts because as we come near the end of the podcast, I'll be giving some practical application of what that looks like today. But there's actually another person in the Bible who also illustrates true humility. John the Baptist was a man that Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived. Now that appraisal causes me to know that he was a man of humility because humility is often equated in the Bible with spiritual power or with greatness. But John illustrates for us a contrast between a wrong understanding of humility and a right understanding of humility. Now in our world today, many people have a wrong understanding of humility. They believe that humility is debasing yourself, putting yourself down, or constantly talking about your inadequacies. In other words, humility is talking about how bad you are, how little you can do, how you're not very worthy, and you don't really matter. I saw this uh, illustrated in a way when I was back in college. Our church back then had a habit on Sunday evenings in our worship services of having people uh, give spontaneous testimonies of God's work in their lives uh, that week or prayer requests they might have, those kinds of things. There was one college student who stood up and testified almost every Sunday night. And this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And his testimony was always the same. He would stand up and say, I'm not worthy. I don't know why God uses me. I don't know why God wants to be in a relationship with me. I'm sinful. I'm evil. Well, the first time he did this, it seemed like a genuine statement of contrition and humility. But after it went on week after week after week after week, quite frankly, it came to be a bit self-serving, where instead of disclaiming attention to himself because of his supposed inadequacies, his repeated claiming of inadequacy week after week after week actually had the opposite effect of drawing attention to him, causing people to think about him, and quite frankly, to be a little bit amused and a little bit, uh, a little bit put off 
by his consistent testimony of his inadequacy. His words did more to draw attention to himself than to deflect attention from himself, which is the antithesis of humility. So the wrong understanding of humility is debasing yourself or putting yourself down or talking about your inadequacies. But what's the right understanding? Well, John the Baptist illustrates this. It's seeing yourself as God sees you. It's accepting God's appraisal of you, and it's fulfilling the mission that God has assigned to you. Say it again. It's seeing yourself as God sees you, accepting God's appraisal of you, and fulfilling the mission God has assigned you. Now, if I could, let me quote just briefly from my book, The Character of Leadership, when I wrote about this. I wrote, John the Baptist is a good example of this right understanding of humility. When asked, what can you tell us about yourself in John 1.22, he did not hesitate to answer. He did not drop his head or scuff his toe. He simply answered the question. John said, John 1.23, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John later added in John 1.27, He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. Of course, he was speaking about Jesus, who he had come to introduce. Now get this next sentence. Yet in spite of Jesus' greatness and John's smallness by comparison, he still owned both his identity and mission. Jesus' preeminence did not invalidate John's role in God's overall plan. True humility is knowing who you are, who God has assi- what, uh, what God has assigned you to do, and making a decision to live that out in gratitude and submission to God for his plans in your life. So Jesus models the true meaning of humility using position and privilege to benefit others and sacrificing to meet the needs of others. And John illustrates true humility as seeing yourself as God sees you, accepting God's appraisal of you, and fulfilling the mission God has assigned to you. Now, the Bible has several reminders about the importance or the value of humility. First, God opposes the proud. In 1 Peter 5, 5, the Bible says that very clearly. God resists the proud. Now, that word resists is an interesting word. It means draws up in battle array. God pulls himself up in full attention and with full opposition to a proud person. But God resists the proud, but does what? He gives grace to and, and uh, works with the humble. Another uh, passage is James 4.10, where it says God exalts the humble. The Bible says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so while some people in our world strive to get ahead at all costs, the Bible says, humble yourselves, and God will exalt you. He'll raise you up. He'll give you the notoriety you need and deserve. He'll make you well-known if that's his plan for your life. Another reminder of the value of humility is in Psalm 25, 9. God leads the humble. The Bible says the Lord leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Now, every one of us wants to be led by God and to know that we have God's direction in our lives. The means to getting that is to humble yourself, to find yourself on your knees each day asking God for God for his direction, his guidance, his leading, to ask God to superintend your life, to take over and control your life. And God promises that when we do this, he will lead us. And then the Bible also says that God empowers the humble. 
Uh, in R Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Moses is described this way. He was a very humble man, more so than any man on the face of the earth. And Moses' humility was part of the reason that God empowered him in such dramatic ways to bring about those plagues which crippled Egypt and brought that powerful nation to its knees. So God empowers the humble. And then finally, God's presence surrounds the humble. Notice that God's presence has always surrounded people, not places. In Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, God said, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house could you possibly build for me? I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and who trembles at my word. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and who trembles at my word. So these are just five val uh, reminders from the Bible of the value of humility. God opposes the proud, God exalts the humble, God leads the humble, God empowers the humble, and God's presence surrounds the humble. Now then, we come to the crux of the matter, and that is in the context of leadership, how is it possible to develop the character quality of humility? Well, let's start with this seminal insight. In James 4.10, the Bible says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And in 1 Peter 5.6, the Bible says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, those verses are very significant. They say, humble yourselves. The Bible has a number of one another passages. Things like love one another, care for one another, serve one another, honor one another, greet one another. The one another's are significant phrases or verses in the Bible which help us understand how to relate to each other in deferential and healthy ways. But get this, the Bible never says humble one another. It always says humble yourself. Both these passages I've read say this, humble yourself, humble yourself. And God promises that when we do that, he responds favorably to us as a leader, comes into our lives in a special way, and we have the benefits of humility that I've just previously described. So no one else is responsible to humble you. This is an important principle because I sometimes actually hear people say, well, our responsibility is to humble our leaders or our responsibility is to keep him humble or to keep her humble. And you simply can't find that in the Bible. Our overwhelming responsibility in the Bible is to lift each other up, to honor each other, to care for each other, to greet and love one another, to be deferential and respectful and uplifting of each other. But when it comes to humility, it's a different, different phrase. The Bible says, humble yourself. So let me give some examples of how I think you can do this as a ministry leader drawing from the example of Jesus and the illustration of John and trying to apply that into our contemporary setting. First, the first way you can humble yourself is to intentionally choose to use your position and your privileges to benefit others. The more responsibility you have in ministry leadership, the more privileges you have and the greater the breadth of your position of leadership. Humble leaders recognize the power they have in their position 
and the influence they have by their privileges. They don't shun those things. They don't say, well, my position doesn't matter, or, oh, these privileges aren't real. No, they really are. A humble leader owns those things and recognizes that God has given them to him or her, not for their personal benefit, but for the benefit of others. I was faced with this decision uh, or this situation a few years ago. When Obamacare was introduced into the healthcare system in our country, of course, it made many changes in many places. And one of the things it did was it really changed how Gateway Seminary viewed giving benefits to its employees. Because at the time we were located in one of the most expensive areas of the country, Marin County, California, and because our pay scale was certainly far below anything that was reasonable in that economy, we had an unusual situation in that uh, many of our employees qualified for health care subsidies uh, in that particular environment. Again, we were in an extremely high-cost environment paying ministerial salaries, and the differential made it possible for many employees to qualify uh, for subsidies and for assistance in, their medical, in providing their medical care for them and for their families. Here was the problem. The way the law was written, as long as we continued to provide those benefits as a seminary, they were not able to receive the benefit uh, of the discounts or of the subsidies as, a, as families. So um, we made a study, and the information was presented to me, and what I discovered was that the vast majority of our employees would actually be benefited by us ending offering coverage to their families and allowing them to purchase it in the open market. But a few employees, including me, we're going to be penalized. In fact, because I made a, the, the most generous salary as the president, uh, I was going to be penalized quite a bit for this decision by having to take on the full cost of my wife's health care. So I was faced with a choice. Do I use my position and privilege to protect myself from a pretty significant financial hit, or did I use my position and privilege to benefit the most of our employees who were going to have a significant improvement in their financial situation if I made the decision. Well, there really was no decision to make. Of course, I chose to benefit the employees. Now, that was a concrete example of what I'm talking about, but actually these kind of choices get made daily. You constantly have to decide, is my position and my privilege of leadership designed for my benefit, for my good, for my well-being, for my welfare, or is it designed uh, to benefit others. I'll give you just another example. You know, as president, I have a very generous expense account. In fact, in some ways, it's, it's kind of an unlimited expense account. If I, if I see something that needs to be done on behalf of the seminary, I'm pretty much free to do it. I, I have to give a careful accounting of every dollar I spend to multiple individuals on our staff and then actually to our board every six months when they meet. And I have no problem doing that because I understand that that accountability is helpful to me. But nevertheless, I, I have a, 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 a wide range of latitude in what I can spend. The rest of the employees at Gateway don't have that kind of latitude. They're uh, under much, much stricter policy about what they can and cannot do in entertaining for the seminary or in spending money on behalf of the seminary. So I have to make a decision. Do I use my privilege and position to do things just because I want to or because I'll enjoy them or because I can? No, I can't do that. So for the most part, I try to submit myself to the same policies and procedures that the rest of the seminary has. I don't want to abuse my position and privilege in order to benefit me personally or even to take advantage of situations that probably would be allowed by our board, but nevertheless aren't really the way that other people would be treated.
So these are examples of what it means to use your privilege and your position to benefit others. A second thing I would say is you develop humility by accepting and valuing your leadership role, meaning that you don't spend an inordinate amount of time trying to get to the next job or the next position or the better, uh, the better opportunity. Instead, humility says, I'm in the position that God has given me right here, right now. And I'm going to sacrifice myself in this position. This came to me when I was a young minister. I was the children's pastor at a church working in a part-time capacity. When another church in town came and asked me if I would like to become their collegiate minister. Now, you, you do the weighing of those opportunities. In the one church, I'm the children's pastor. But in the other church, I'm going to be the college minister. And I'm going to be able to go on the college campus among my peers and act like I'm uh, important because I have a position of leadership and a responsibility. And, and so after considering both positions, I went to my pastor and I asked him for counsel about which one I should choose. And he said, Jeff, you have to decide if you want a position or a ministry. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, in our church, you have a couple of hundred children who depend on you for leadership in Bible teaching and activities, outreach, counsel, and you're shepherding hundreds of children toward a relationship with God. Or you can go to this other church and be the college minister. Now, they don't have any college students right now. They're trying to start a ministry, and there's no doubt that you would be able to start that ministry and attract some college students. But you have to weigh out, is it more important that you uh, influence dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of children toward a relationship with God and have a long-term impact in their lives, which you may not ever see the full fruit of? Or is it more important to you that you go out and take this position so that you can go on the campus and have some immediate impact with some people and, and, and have that position of respect that I know you really uh, see it as, as being? Well, once again, his comments really clarified the situation for me. And I chose the ministry that I had at the time, not the position that was being offered to me. And I chose the position because I felt like God had placed me there. God had given me opportunity there. And I redoubled my efforts to pour my whole heart into those children and to what was happening there. And over the years, I've tried to do this. Whatever position I've had, whether I was a pastor or a church planter or um, whether I was a baseball chapel leader or in whatever task I found myself, I asked God to, give, to put blinders on me and help me work hard in that location, not looking around for what might be better or what might be more lucrative or what might gain greater notoriety, but just to say, God, what can I do here? And put my whole heart and soul into it and to serve with gratitude and humility toward God, putting a high value on my current leadership role. Well, here's another thing that you can do, and that is express gratitude to people who serve you and who serve with you. Thank you, or, thank you are very powerful words, and saying thank you to the people that work with you is a demonstration of your humility. You know, I'm very privileged here at the seminary to have some support staff who uh, really make my life work. Uh, I have a, an executive assistant who uh, coordinates all the administrative work of the president's office and manages my travel, which is more than a full-time job in and of itself. 
Then I have assistants that help uh, with the podcast and with other kinds of social media work that I do and who help prepare the presentations I make when I go out to speak and others who serve, uh, another person who serves to help with the facilitation of uh, the things we do in our home, the things we do in entertainment for the sem- entertaining for the seminary and the things we do here in the office to host groups and all the things that go along with that. All of these people serve uh, selflessly, They serve uh, at really small salaries. Uh, They serve because they believe in the mission of the seminary, and I think they also serve because they believe that I'm making a difference, and by helping me make a difference, they can uh, accelerate their influence in the world as well. It's so easy as a leader to think people owe you this kind of service, but they don't. People who serve you and support you and help make you successful, uh, they deserve your gratitude. Now, In most organizations, it's inappropriate to give lavish gifts, and so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, saying thank you verbally, saying thank you in writing from time to time, and occasionally saying thank you with a coffee gift card or a lunch out, something that says, I notice you, I appreciate you, and I'm thankful for what you do to support me. This also extends to the people who work with us. I'm privileged here to have four outstanding vice presidents who are part of our executive leadership team. Those vice presidents uh, serve in remarkable ways to keep our seminary strong. And one of the ways I try to honor them is by always mentioning them in a positive way every time our board meets. I put something in the written report to highlight a success they've had in the previous six months or a contribution they've made to the seminary that I don't want to go unnoticed. And I also try at every meeting to mention each of the vice presidents in a positive way so that the board continually hears me reinforcing their value to the organization. And the VPs hear, the, hear my words and read my words as well. And they know that I not only expressed appreciate, express appreciation to them privately, but they also know that I do it publicly by giving them honor and credit for the good work they've done. So another way to demonstrate and learn humility and leadership is express gratitude to people who serve you and serve with you. And then finally, another way to learn humility or to develop humility and leadership is to celebrate the success of other leaders. You know, when other seminaries have big successes, it's easy to grouse about that and say, well, God, why didn't that happen to us? Or, well, how did they discover how to do that? Or why didn't we think of that first? Humility, though, says, thank God they're having success. I celebrate that. A number of years ago, a very well-known speaker was preaching at our church, and he said, he asked this question. He said, are you praying for revival to come to your city? And, of course, there was a resounding amen across the congregation. Yes, we're praying for revival to come to our city. And then he said, what if God answered your prayer and sent it among the Methodists? And the room was very quiet. He said, God will not send revival on a people who expect it to come to them as a reward for their prayers or service. God will send revival when a people pray for it to come if they receive no benefit of it or if they're not noticed in the process at all. That stuck with me all these years, and I've tried to develop the discipline of celebrating the successes of others. So when another church in town is reaching more people than mine, or another seminary is developing a program we can't do, or when another school, or excuse me, when another ministry of any kind is having a success, rather than critique it or criticize it 
or try to speak some balancing word that, di that diminishes the success. I try to say positive things that contribute to celebrating the successes of others. Well, during this Thanksgiving week, it's a time to take a step back, to acknowledge how good God has been in our lives, to recognize his blessings, and to humble ourselves before him in appreciation for what he's done through us. Today, we've talked about developing humility in leadership, looked at the example of Jesus and the illustration of John the Baptist, summarized some benefits that come to us, the Bible promises when we develop humility, and then looked at some ways we can obey that injunction in Scripture to humble ourselves by doing some specific concrete things in leadership that contribute to developing this character quality, humility. It's a vital, it's a vital issue for us, and I'm delighted to talk with you about it today. Even though I'm not much of a model of it much of the time, I'm trying to develop humility so that my son will actually be able to say, wow, Dad, you really wrote a chapter, and you actually maybe even learned something from it along the way. So thank you for listening today. It's time to get back to work. Lead on.